Welcome everyone. Thank you for taking time to attend this session. My name is Keith Groom. I'm the global head of the Windows Partner Business for AWS. I'm based out of Seattle, Washington. Been with AWS about three and a half years. Fun fact, I'm the fifth guy on the team uh, when it started uh, three years ago. Uh, it's been quite the journey and I'm here today to talk to you about migrating and modernizing Microsoft workloads on AWS. And it's a huge opportunity for partners and I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm joined by Brian Lewis, who's our senior solution architect. He'll be coming up later to talk to you. And then I've got a friend of mine from a partner who's gonna talk about a real case study of, of what his partner journey has been like on AWS. So our agenda is talking about the market opportunity for Microsoft Workload. So this is really the investment thesis, investment case for you to take back to your leadership that says, this is an opportunity for us to build a business and build a practice. Then I'm gonna talk about why customers are choosing AWS because you need to have, what are those essential talking points, why AWS versus Azure for Microsoft workloads? And then I'm gonna talk about some specific strategies in the migration space. What are those sales plays as a partner that you can leverage and implement to be successful? And then I'm gonna talk about a definition of modernization. And, and this is about modernizing Microsoft workloads away from Microsoft technology. Might be an interesting uh, new area that we're exploring and an opportunity for your practice. And I'll talk about what we see as the common roadmap, roadmap for success with partners. If I can, I'd love to see a show of hands of how many of you are customers and not partners out of this audience? Okay, one or two. All right, most everyone is a partner, that's great. I'm, I'm really happy to have you guys here. So there's also lots of Windows sessions. If you wanna learn more about migrating and modernizing Microsoft workloads on AWS, there's 53 sessions you can attend. This is a list of most of them. There's, there's some repeats to these. But if you wanna learn about how to do .NET development on AWS, how to move SQL to AWS, how to do core migration workloads to AWS, how to do Active Directory support. All of these sessions are going on if you want to learn more. So as to turn these into a service opportunity for your company, go attend these sessions and we'd be happy to uh, have you attend and, and see you work with us. So again, let me start with this market opportunity and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna use this expression of, you gotta follow the money, so to speak. And here's the lens that we see, and this is why we're so focused on this at AWS. First of all, IDC says 70% of, of enterprise applications are Windows-based. Of those, 82% are still sitting on-prem. IDC also recently said that CIOs all have first uh, cloud-first strategy, but all their 80% of their spend is still on-premise, right? So we have a big disconnect there. Gartner says customers are gonna make a decision. They're gonna move now. So this market is moving really, really fast. And so speed is of the essence. There's a huge opportunity that SQL is gonna move from on-premise. Uh, customers are running into challenges of scalability, performance, and cost, and they can all be solved by running them on AWS in the cloud, and we're the best place to run SQL. And our data, we do these assessments of customer environments, and of those servers and, uh, excuse me, Windows Server and SQL Server that we've uh, um, inventoried, 43% of 2008 are older. So almost half of the install base on premise is 2008 or old. Huge problem in the enterprise. And then everybody has Windows Server and SQL Server in the enterprise in the Fortune 2000. Like it's just ubiquitous. Everybody has it. And as you know, many of you may be a, a partner of Microsoft and you might have a dual cloud strategy. Some of you might be an AWS only and you're trying to address customers. I mean, Microsoft has a long standing relationship with customers and they're selling on price, and they're selling on their licensing, they're not selling on the benefits of the technology platform. And that's why we're winning customers to choose AWS for Microsoft workloads. So all of these give the context for huge market opportunity for partners, and I'm gonna talk about how you're gonna monetize that. So the, again, the further backdrop to all of this, which I think is really important is, the dynamics in the market, the customer confusion and the urgency and the risk that's out there. And some of them are 2008 just went uh, into support this past July. 
October 1st, Microsoft made a bunch of confusing licensing changes to customers. We're getting lots of questions about this. The simple answer is if you bought a license before October 1st, most of the time you can bring it to AWS. If you, if you buy a new license after, after October 1st, you probably can't bring it to AWS on a dedicated host. That's the short version of that, which I'll talk more about. But then you've got Windows Server 2008 going in to support this January. Like the install base of Windows Server 2008 is gargantuan. It's estimated to be 39% of the install base in the market. And you know, some of that's gonna go behind a firewall and you're gonna ignore it, but the reality is customers with you know, HIPAA compliance, they're at risk from a security perspective, they're non-compliant, they have to do something. And, and, that, and the, the offer from Azure to do nothing and get free year, three years of extended support is very compelling. I can do nothing, I just gotta to migrate to Azure to do that, but that migration entails a lot of risk, which I'm gonna talk about, and we can solve that in a different way on AWS. And so customers are confused as the landscape. And so we need partners at AWS that are well-versed in the story, well-versed in our value proposition to go explain to customers how to go do this and for you to go monetize that and hopefully build a profitable practice. So with that said, let me just try and turn to a couple of the key reasons why we're the best platform to run Microsoft workloads. The first is, we have over 10 years experience running Windows workloads on AWS. We were running Windows workloads pre-Azure. That's an important thing. And why does that matter? Because experience matters. We have customers running tens of thousands of Windows servers in production on AWS that, that Azure hasn't even seen customers that big yet. So experience matters to customers. Our global reach and availability with 69 uh, availability zones in 22 regions. If you haven't dove, dove deep into AWS availability zones, you really need to understand how to pitch that when you're talking to a customer. Because Azure goes, it really confuses customers about what is a region and a data center. And, and suffice it to say, Azure launched availability zones last year in November in a beta preview and it's currently available in 10 regions. We offer an availability zone in every region of the world. It's a technology where we have multiple data centers within a region so you have asynchronous failover replication. They've duplicated our construct that we've had for 10 years. They have a long ways to catch up to us. We have 165 plus services, 40 services that don't even exist on on Azure today. And, and, and it's not just about how many services you have, but it's the robustness of those services. It's the depth of those services. It's the API compatibility. It's the documentation to support those services. Customers say to us, it just works. When you're running Windows workloads, one of the compelling factors on licensing is we have so many different families of compute instant types you can match the right size of instance with the right licensing for the right application to get the best performance at the lowest cost. That is a strategy that matters. Customers want to be able to choose a choice, the tool of choice rather, to build their applications. We have a greater choice of services that allow you to optimize both cost and performance particularly in the context of Microsoft licensing, which is really important, that's always a consideration. Uh, so really important to dive into where we can support an application because of the breadth of services. And, and we're gonna talk about databases later with Brian on SQL and all of our database options. And it's no longer a relational database only world. And I'll, I'll save that story for Brian in a couple of minutes. And just the, the performance, the 80,000 like, you know, from our direct connections to our, our uh, private link and the ability to configure your networks in a way, because that's an important part of the, the, the networking piece of how you optimize the workloads is really important what we've been able to do. And the result is pretty clear. Um, IDC, again, this is not us saying this, IDC in this report, 2018, they measured Windows VMs in the public cloud. AWS, Azure, Alibaba, Google, we had 57% of the Windows VMs in public cloud infrastructure. Azure had 31. 
customers are choosing us with their wallet that says, I'm going to run my Microsoft workloads because of that. So, and, but look, we have not done a very good job of marketing this to customers. Most customers are not aware of this. Most customers say, well, it's Microsoft Workload. I should just go to Azure. And, and they just don't, they're just, this lack of awareness is where we need partners to be educated in this story and use the AWS Windows team and your resources to go talk to customers about, you know, when I look at McDonald's and, and Japan Net Bank and Infor and Dow Jones and Dole running thousands and thousands of Windows Server and SQL Server instances in the public cloud, it's really compelling the number of customers that are doing this and we have a huge amount of market share. And the other piece that's related to this is reliability. Reliability turns out it matters a, a lot to customers. And I talked about, um, you know, it's, we are more reliable because of our architectural construct of regions and availability zones and edge locations. And as a result, in publicly available data, you can look this up, we're seven times more reliable. When you're an enterprise running a global application, like, do you want to take that risk? And we've shown time and again that relative to Azure, um, they have seven times more downtime than we do for Windows workloads. Now, it's important I told you earlier about just how, how much energy we have been putting into just building and we want to make Windows a first-class citizen on, on AWS. I mean, obviously, we have a huge Linux business. It's been at the core of our open-source workloads. But if you look at the innovation we've delivered around Windows, it's been really tremendous. Most recently, our Active Directory cross-VP support. We launched Amazon FSx for Windows file servers. That was a fully native file system. Doesn't even exist on Azure. Um, and so we have been really committed to supporting Windows. Similarly on SQL, and I just realized our slides are not up, we just launched SQL 2019. Uh, the AMIs are available, it was available last week, uh, and I think we were just a couple of days after Microsoft launched SQL Server. Uh, we just recently launched a 2008 SQL uh, upgrade tool. On the .NET side, we have lots of innovations, and, and this is an area that if you're a partner with, with application development is core to what you do, and you do .NET application development, like we need your help. We need your help to show customers and train customers how to do .NET development at AWS. Because by and large, you know, we've surveyed the .NET developer community, and the, their perception is it's way easier to develop in Visual Studio and push it to Azure. And we've got a great platform to do .NET development, which Brian's going to talk a little bit more about later. But again, this is where we need your help to tell that story. And then this, this idea of, well, what's, what can I move? Can I move beyond Windows? Like, is that possible? And yes, all the innovations we have, like Lambda support for PowerShell and Amazon EKS for Windows, are the first to market with any of the cloud providers for Windows workloads. And, and, and while it's a, it's a container service, <clears throat> small today, but it is important for Windows customers to have this as an option. So this pace of innovation is really relentless and we, we continue to innovate to support and make Windows a first-class citizen. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier MSX. This is really important part of your migration practice. So you're going to do a bunch of lift and shift migrations you need to understand how to deploy FSx for Windows file servers. There's a huge opportunity for you to um, you know, increase your scope of work with the customers. It's a fully native file system. There's no hardware to manage. It's got tremendous throughput and out of the box, it's secure PCI compliant. Uh, and as I mentioned, it doesn't exist on Azure today. And so it's a terrific solution for Windows. And we're seeing a tremendous attach rate um, for lots and lots of our core uh, migration projects from customers. Um, Active Directory, there's a lot of fun in the market about Active Directory. While um, what's most important to know is we have an AD connector which connects Windows EC2 on-premise apps to on-premise AD. It's designed to make it easier for customers to join Windows and SQL Server workloads running EC2 to an AD instance running on-premise. We also have Manage AD. This is AD running on AWS managed by AWS. So, you know, don't 
my advice to you is don't fall into the premise that Microsoft will say is Office 365, Azure AD Premium, you should leave your credentials way over there. Okay, that's one option, but it's not typically going to be the best option for most enterprises. So understanding how to architect AD on AWS as a core skill as a partner if you're going to be successful doing migrations. Core skill. Know that we've got multiple ways to configure Active Directory to support customers, support hybrid environments. Um, it's not an issue, but there's, you know, Microsoft's FUD is, that nah, it doesn't really work. You have to leave your credentials in, in Azure. You don't have to do that. You can, but if you want to really do a mass migration to AWS, you're going to want to understand how to do this. So important part of our value, know that we support it. And you know, we'll continue to innovate on that. And then we've also got great partners like Okta who have solutions around single sign-on who can act as a glue. And in fact, they can give you a roadmap to even get off Active Directory over the long term if you wanted to. And, and by the way, AD is one of the most common ways that are hacked in the enterprise. So as long as you architect it securely on AWS, you can prohibit the kinds of security hacks that are, pretty, that are often commonplace in AD that people are hacking into. And so we have best practices around security hardening of your AD environments. Uh, let me just pivot to, to this, this point here, which is the data is pretty clear. Again, this is, this is IDC saying on-premise. Here's what you're spending on-premise. On average, they surveyed really large enterprise customers, 37% lower cost savings on-premise versus running on AWS for Windows workloads. And this is further validated by all of the assessments we have done internally at AWS. Just this year alone, we've done 478 and average customer saving was 36%. So we're pretty closely correlating to, to what they're showing here. So the, the data is really strong, like better performance, lower costs in the cloud versus on-prem. And I recognize, you know, as a partner, you're talking to customers and you're trying to convince them to move and they've got all of these silly objections. I recognize they're not silly from the customer's viewpoint, but, but it's really important that you, you got to educate the customers on the reality of the world as it is today. And, and, and it's really hard sometimes to share the light, but it doesn't mean the data is not true. One, one thing I love about working at AWS is we're a data-driven culture. And we follow the data. What does the data say? And we really learn from that. And if you look at our roadmap, 90% of what we built is based on what customers tell us. We, we take customer feedback, we respond, we build, we, we iterate as kind of our process. And this can be true. And, and, and this is a different mindset that sometimes is, is hard to get customers wrapping their head around. And you know, running SQL in the cloud is really hard for some customers to wrap their head around. So this is a great segue to my friend Brian, and he's now going to talk to you about running SQL Server on AWS. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate you it. You bet. All right, so what I wanted to start with was let's start with addressing the question out there. Uh, what about SQL Server? Um, should I just take it to Azure, right? That's a common thing that I've heard is, well, it's Microsoft who built it, and Microsoft built Azure, so let's take it there. And there are a lot of things we can address uh, from a technical side. There's hundreds of reasons of why you may want to go to AWS instead. Keith talked a little bit about the multi-AZ and, and the availability zone. And when he was talking about that, one of the things that always strikes me that I haven't heard people talk about, yes, Azure has uh, AZs in, in 10 areas now, and they're trying to expand and trying to get their whole network to have that. It's going to take a while for them to get there. But more importantly, when you think of the 160 plus services that AWS offers that are managed services, uh, whether it's a PaaS type service or, or an IaaS service, our services are all backed with what we call well-architected, but well-architected is a multi-AZ design and approach. So 160 plus services, all designed with multi-AZ. In Azure, there's only 10 areas where they have multi-AZ. And if you look at their 100 plus services, how many of those are, uh, are multi-AZ enabled for those areas? And I saw it was around 17 when I counted. Uh, I'm not sure if that is, that's not an official number, but I looked at, at their website and counted those up. That's what I came up with. So there is a huge difference. 
If we look at just SQL Server performance in a like-to-like -like comparison of running SQL on, an, on a virtual machine, uh, AWS has a two times better price performance than on Azure. And so I thought that was important to, to look at that because you know, customers are asking, why not just go to the Microsoft product? And that history and that experience that we've had has really made a difference in the stability uh, and, and different design things that we've want, uh, learned, and especially when it comes to multi-AZ. Sorry, I didn't realize that was a build slide. Uh, so the other next piece is here, when we do a lift and shift, which is the number one thing customers are asking for, and our traditional partners, it, it makes a lot of sense there, right, of doing the infrastructure work. Lift and shift is exactly what you've been really doing. It's where a lot of people's experience is. It's not much different than if you were going to uh, a colo site, right? So going into the AWS environment, yes, there's, there's more that uh, you want to look at, but a lot the same way. You start with the networks, uh, you move on to other infrastructure, Active Directory, how we do authentication and all that, and we lift and shift and move. There's two main ways to lift and shift SQL Server. Uh, the first is just putting it into a virtual machine, and you run it pretty much like you would do on-premises or in a, uh, in a colo environment. Uh, and there's lots of details we get into on it, but pretty much anything you can do in a virtual machine on-premises, you can do inside our environment. And then the other option is us to manage it. I kind of look at the services as if I can go to a serverless environment, right? That's, that's my favorite place to be. If it makes sense from business reasons, price performance, all the others. If I can go serverless, I want to go serverless. Next down the line, if I can go to a managed server where AWS or the cloud provider manages the servers for me, then I don't have to have that work uh, that is the next route I'll go. And then lastly, I would go to VMs because VMs can pretty much do anything, so EC2. In this case, we're looking at SQL Server on RDS, which is a managed server environment. The customer still has a server that's running there and it's a dedicated server to them. Uh, but you know, there's, uh, those are the two options. There's a lot of different intricacies as far as there's no bring your own license to the RDS environment. Uh, there's no Linux support where I can do that type of work in a, in a virtual uh, machine. Uh, but those are our two main offerings. Now, when we move on and look at what else can I do to modernize the database, there's the low-hanging fruit, which is, hey, let's just move it to, to uh, Linux. And if it's a SQL Server workload that's looking at just the database engine, Microsoft supports Linux, and we can go right to a Linux box, that's great. They can reduce the costs, uh, get some Linux, Linux experience, uh, but the, the cost reduction is going to be removing the Windows Server uh, uh, costs. If we look at something like going to Azure Aurora, well, th there are serverless options there. There's also the scale out, read write, because in cloud it's great to scale out. You can only scale up so far, so scale out makes a lot more sense in cloud, especially when you get to super high-end uh, environments, uh, when you really want to scale larger. So with that, one of the customers I've worked with lately is a customer that builds, um, they build uh, machines that, that basically, uh, they're turbines that produce power. And with that, they want to take the metrics, the IoT metrics of how it works. They want to do predictive failure analytics and all kinds of other work. But with the turbines they have, they're grabbing about a terabyte of data a month right now. Um, that's what they've grown to. They planned, they would like to grow even larger than that, but they're using it against a traditional SQL Server backend database with a .NET application. And so they're looking to lift and shift that into AWS. Now, lift and shift makes a lot of sense in regards to, uh, they're pretty much at their capacity of what they can handle there, but it's also kind of at the capacity of, of how I'd want to do a SQL Server setup, right? They're at 50 terabyte, adding a terabyte a month, uh, looking to add even more than that. And um, that, that gets to be a hard restore if you ever have to restore that backup, right? Uh, what kind of timeline can you fit that in? So, I'm thinking there's a lot better designs they can go to, and in modernization, we can modernize to other types of databases, or even going just to storage itself. The design there that I've suggested is, from the ingestion point now, instead of uh, a whole roadmap of what they would do, first, just ingest it and drop it into S3. Where you drop it in S3, in the, in the US it's 2.4 cents per gig per month, right, to drop that data in there. They can drop it in in plain text, they could do uh, 
serverless queries against it using Athena to get data information out of it. But beyond that, they currently have an environment that's built out to do their reports today, but they only go back about three months in data. So they can take that data out of the S3 environment, push that into a SQL Server environment, run their same tools right now today, and then as they rebuild that, all these reporting tools are, are in-built, home-built uh, tools for them. So as they do that, they can migrate over their own time to building new tools to either do it serverless with Athena, to going into some other type of Redshift environment or some other you know, Hadoop or whatever they want to do. They can, they can try and practice all kinds of things. It gives them a less expensive design, something that's a lot more scalable, and it gives them the availability or the ability to um, do all types of changes in the future with no lock-in into the direction that they're going to go. So they can really play around. So what we have in AWS is 14 different database types. Why would we have 14 different database types? The answer is because different databases do different jobs. The NoSQL databases are not all built the same. Some NoSQL databases do key value pairs. Others do documents. Uh, others work different ways. And so the thing is, is you pick the database that's right for the job. We have a customer, we have several customers, but we have a customer who does uh, services for renting uh, houses and, and things like that, where they have three different databases behind their main app, right? They've got a database of DynamoDB doing some regular storage of the transactions, and that's a nice serverless database that is easy to scale out, and you shard the data and put it across multiple servers. Uh, they use for the profile, they want it even faster. Instead of millisecond response times, they want microsecond response times. Um, and so using Redis or Memcache for that type of environment makes sense, another database. And then there might be some uh, things that you want to do that's still relational in data, that has relationships where you only store once. And if you do that, you could use something like, red, uh, like a, 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 a traditional, um, losing the thought of a database, uh, the traditional database, and I don't have the list on there, do I? But a traditional um, either one of our serverless scale-out type environments, or even just a managed database like SQL Server uh, on RDS. So there's a multi multiple reasons why we would have different databases. Um, and some of them here we go into different time series and ledger databases, something uh, on the idea of a blockchain environment. So in the space of modernization, we've got some tools. Uh, in the tools, the, the two main tools are the uh, AWS Database Migration Service, or DMS. And DMS is a name that usually we give names like, like Aurora or Lambda, and it's hard to understand what they are. Database Migration Service describes it, right? Really nice, except that it does more than database migration. This is one we should have named Alpha Fish or whatever. Uh, this one not only migrates data and from one database type to another database type even, you know, from, say, Microsoft SQL to Postgres, uh, but other things it can do is it can synchronize your data so you can use it as a disaster recovery environment. I could run my SQL Server on-premises, use DMS to synchronize that uh, into AWS, not only for the migration, but let's just leave that in place so that I have a backup. And if there's ever a disaster, I can switch over to that backup that's continually sending the copies. So DMS is one tool that is great for helping modernize and moving data, but as well as for backups. The next one, the SCT, or Schema Conversion Tool, this is a tool that we run against the data in the database, and then we look at what does it take to make the change. So let's say, again, using the example of Microsoft SQL, maybe they want to go to Postgres. Why would they want to do that? Well, usually it's about 10 times less expensive uh, to, run to, post to run on Postgres than on Microsoft SQL. And so by doing that conversion, what does it take to change? What code changes do I have to do? How much work is it going to be? And the answer is, which is what consultants usually say, right? It depends. It depends on, am I uh, going to have to do a bunch of uh, different commands that are uh, you know, doing custom-built queries and things like that? Are these things I can do in Postgres? And so the SCT will give that roadmap and say, hey, you can do it by just changing these few things here. You know, we're looking at a day or two of work. Uh, or, uh, now this is going to take about two years of coding. Here's all the lists of things that are not compatible and will be, need to be changed. And so the SCT tool gives an idea of what it's going to take to convert and gives that roadmap of what to change to convert. 
So that's the, that's the database environment and some of the tools we have there. Now, if we talk about .NET development, this is an area that is great for uh, partners as well, and there's a lot of opportunity in this space. If we look at the traditional uh, experience of the environment, we've been doing .NET framework coding in the enterprises for years and years. And Microsoft has announced that the .NET framework uh, 4.8 is the last version of, of .NET framework. Right now it's 4.7.1, I think, is out. Uh, and they've released .NET Framework 3.0. Uh, the next version of, of .NET Core uh, is 3.0. The next version is going to be version 5. The reason they're going to version 5 is so that everybody knows that that's the next version. They're even dropping the name Core from it. So that's the direction forward for .NET development. In 3, they said they put out all the APIs that they're going to. So it's as easy as it's ever going to be. It's not going to get any easier is what they're saying down the road, at least from the, the uh, framework aspect of doing conversions. And there there's tools as well to, do, to look at code and doing a code analysis. And is this an easy recompile or is there a lot of code changes that have to take place? But the interesting thing there is all the customers that have all these framework apps, if they're going to continue that app, if that life cycle is going to continue, they're not going to retire it, they need to do this conversion. Uh, and they, they need partner help for that. Uh, but it also gives a lot of modernization abilities as we look at the future of, all right, what do we do to the pipeline? We, you know, in framework and with regular old relational SQL server, when we updated the application, we needed downtime. So that's why things would be done over the weekend. And you might rev an app once or twice a year. But today, most companies are looking for agility. That's even the questions that customers ask me is more about the agility than it is about the cost and TCO. Uh, there's customers out there today on AWS who are revving their apps 30,000 times a day is one of our uh, case study app uh, environments. There's other apps, you know, maybe they're doing a, a once a week or once a, once a day, but being able to rev, make small changes, lets you either fail forward or fail back. It's smaller changes to the end user instead of saving up changes for a whole year and then rolling out breaking problems. So getting to an environment like that, it's really helpful if you don't have to bring the app down, right, to have that update. And so, um, these are things that .NET Core can help with, as well as the open source uh, databases can help with as well. Um, so the modernization space is a huge play for partners. Uh, and a lot of times what I'm seeing is lift and shift initially into the crowd, and then work with them to help them understand their opportunities in modernization, and what help them build their roadmap of what they're going to do next, and, and then on forward. Um, so that's a, a great uh, experience. .NET development as well, we have toolkits to make it easy for our developers to work in that space. So not only from an aspect of PowerShell tools to, to make changes, there's the uh, tools built right into the IDEs uh, that we'll talk about in a second. There's the CDK so that they can use code to make changes to the AWS fabric. Um, so basically the uh, developer experience on AWS is a nice fully supported .NET development environment. Matter of fact, most .NET developers Use Visual Studio. A lot of people are moving to Visual Studio code. We have uh, plugins for both tools. And we have plugins for our, uh, a partner, JetBrains, to do .NET development as well. And so the nice thing about this for the developer standpoint is they never have to leave the IDE. From the tools that are built right into Visual Studio here, the one that's shown, they can spin up um, virtual machines. They can spin and push right into Elastic Beanstalk or right into Lambda. They don't have to leave and go to the console even. They can just do all their work right from in the Visual Studio environment. Uh, and so that's huge for productivity. These tools have to be added. Now, they, they, it's a drop down of add components inside Visual Studio. Uh, the Azure tools are right there already. So they're already pre-built in. You don't have to add them. Uh, so sometimes those developers think the place to go is to Azure. Uh, I would argue there's another option for them. These tools, when you think about it, um, they're just tools to build things. And I, I'm a builder, so I don't, I mean, I've built on Azure before. Uh, I've, I've built on AWS. Uh, I'll just use an analogy. There's both our tools for doing it. I'm gonna use a bad analogy, because one's using a hammer, and the other one's using a pneumatic nail gun. I don't know if the difference is that big, but it's, a, it's still a big difference. So I uh, encourage you guys to, to take a look at these tools and get your, de your devs and your consultants to take a look at this for the .NET development. Uh, and with that, I'm going to head it back to Keith.
Awesome. Thank you, Brian. So just a quick summary of what we've kind of gone through so far. Um, we've got an incredibly reliable platform because of our availability zones. We have the most services of any cloud provider at 165. We've got incredible reliability. We can support .NET development, support SQL, support Active Directory. Um, you know, we are not losing to customers on the technology platform. And so we have programs called Immersion Days to help train your architects on how to do all of these different services on AWS. We can work with separately on that. I'm gonna give you the two minute version of licensing Microsoft workloads on AWS. So try and hold the bile back in your throat, I know, talking about licensing. Um, so I'll try and make it super simple for you. So this is your way to be a two minute expert in front of a customer to talk about licensing. There's two ways you can do Microsoft licensing on AWS. One, you can buy licenses from AWS. It's called License Included. We manage the licenses. That's pay-as-you-go, you pay by the hour, pay by the minute, end of story for Windows Server and SQL Server. That's all we sell. We don't sell Office 365, we don't sell Office. We sell Windows Server and SQL Server license included. One option. The second option is you can bring your license to AWS. And there are various rules to BYOL your licenses, and these are where they get a little complex. The first rule is you, you cannot BYOL uh, Windows Server to native EC2, you can BYOL Windows Server to a dedicated host. But as long as you bought that license before October 1st, that's where the caveats come in. You can BYOL SQL licenses as long as they have SA to EC2, but you can't BYOL them to RDS. You're like, what? Like, we would love to be able to do that. Microsoft just has not given us the opportunity to do that. And so there's a little bit of things. So all you need to do is start with a customer and work backwards. Tell me about what licenses you own today. Typically that means start with their enterprise agreement, renewal date, tell me what you have, what do you own, and let's work backwards and build the most efficient utilization of those licenses on AWS. Almost every customer, it's a mixture. Some workloads, typically variable workloads, they're gonna to wanna to just buy license included because they wanna scale up, scale down, turn those servers on and off with that on-demand elasticity. Other steady state workloads, they'll typically be while well a license because they're a steady state workload. So, you know, starting backwards from what do you own today and let's figure out what you can bring on AWS and then call AWS. We have a Microsoft licensing team. You can call us and we'll help you and we'll support anybody in any geo around the world. We'll give you licensing support. Um, and then if a customer does BYO a license, we have something called a license manager. And, and this launched a year ago at reInvent, and we now have tens of thousands of customers using license manager. And so if you own Microsoft, IBM, SAP, Oracle, this is a way to track your licenses on AWS. It's a free service for customers. So I'd really encourage you to tell your customers that want to particularly BYO licenses for enterprise workloads, we have a great solution to manage, track, assign those licenses. It's a free service. It's a very simple, very customer-centric user interface. Uh, and they're using this for a compliance and audit, and it's a terrific, you can set up controls, it's a great free service, and it's been widely adopted. It's actually a great example of AWS's customer said to us, you know, how we build our roadmap. They said to us, you know, managing licenses is, a, is kind of a pain on your platform. We went and built the service, and we said, well, here you go. Built a minimum viable, what do you think? Customer like, this is great. This really simplifies my life. We keep iterating on it to make it better. And now we, in one, a span of one year, have thousands and thousands of users using this free service. It's a terrific example of innovation on, on the AWS platform. My final point on the value prop for a position here is we also have a premium support agreement with Microsoft. So we're not going to finger point to Microsoft around customers down. Their application's not working. We don't know what the problem is. We have an engineering through enterprise customer support. We will escalate. We have a team engineers on the back end. We talk to the product teams at Microsoft. We will discover what the problem is. 
and solve it for the customer. So we've got premier support for Microsoft workloads. We work directly with Microsoft on this support uh, to protect customers and help them. And we have lots of edge cases that we get, we get people on the phone from Microsoft and AWS on an as-needed basis to, to get the customer up and running. We're very committed to customers in that context. All right, so now let's turn to, you know, we've gone through quite a bit here around just the value proposition, but that's so important for you to get well-versed in as a partner. Let me put in the context around how we sort of see this um, as you think about where the customer is and the journey that you're going to take the customer on. So I mentioned at the beginning, it's this on-premise world. The problem we're trying to solve for is customers are on-premise and they need partners to move them to the cloud. We will never have enough capacity to do it ourselves. We need you desperately in every market. <laughs> we need more partners. And so this is a proven way to do it by going out and doing an assessment, migrating those initial workloads, then optimizing those workloads on the platform, and then modernizing them over. We see this as a very common pattern. It follows our cloud adoption framework. And over time, what you're doing is you're moving them to cloud native and they're reducing technical debt. I mean, Microsoft, VMware, SAP, in, his, in typical IT shops, it's over 50% of their IT budget is going for legacy old guard licensing. Customers are, and, and if you can solve, as a partner, if you can solve for the technical debt, you're now funding innovation. And we have programs to help accelerate and to fund that. The OLA, which I'm gonna talk about, MAP, and MMP. And these are all programs for each phase of this journey that you can leverage to help accelerate getting that customer to move from on-premise to AWS. And what this does is this creates this, this strategy this, uh, this cloud framework creates lots of ways for you to monetize this as a partner. So I said at the beginning, your thesis case back to your executive team, this is how you make money on Microsoft workloads on AWS. This is how you'll make money on our platform. And what you need to figure out is how do you build in your own company a service offering in these five areas that, that is typical to what is to your business and how do you price it, how do you monetize it, how do you package it? Because the more you make it simple, repeatable, then, you can, then it makes it easier to actually engage with the AWS sales organization. So on the advisory and consulting side, doing TCO assessments are really, really important. Because in Microsoft workloads, customers are not going to move to AWS because they say, how much does it cost? And what is the performance? And what do I do with all the licensing? So you need to do this financial business case justification of here's all, all the licensing you have. Here's what you can do on AWS with those licenses or, or your on-premise infrastructure. We also have partners monetizing SQL assessments. They go out and they do database assessments. That's a great service offering. We can move your on-premise SQL to AWS in two weeks. What? Are you kidding me? Um, we have partners doing modernization assessments. They're going in and they're looking at an application and saying, hey, yeah, we can totally modernize this off Microsoft into open source. Um, so a variety of ways in which a partner can monetize. On the migration side, things like a fixed landing zone. We have one great partner of mine that comes to mind. They're a premier partner. They, what they've done is they've constructed PCI compliant templates that are repeatable that says if you have a, a piece, an application that requires to be PCI compliant, they've built a standard reference architecture that's proven and it runs in our well-architected framework and they can deploy it in, on AWS in like 30 minutes. So building these repeatable, what we call landing zones um, and these kinds of offerings really helps accelerate getting the customer to the cloud fast. And we've got lots of tools to support migration. If you're an app dev shop, you do lots of custom app dev, knowing how to do .NET app development on AWS and, and having things like a migration pathway for those applications or, or DevOps services, really huge opportunity to monetize. And then, you know, as a corollary to that type of app modernization is modernizing them completely off Microsoft. 
And what we're seeing is, is customers are lifting shift, they're getting on AWS, now the environment is stable. They go, well now what's next? What else can I do? And that next step is often moving SQL to Aurora that Brian alluded to. SQL to Aurora eliminates the SQL licensing, a huge expenditure. I mean, I have one customer, they're spending $10 million a year on SQL licensing. And they move to Aurora with no licensing. It's one-tenth the cost, and it's 10 times the performance. And it took them two years to make that change. But that is a huge savings for an enterprise customer, $10 million off their cost basis. Um, you know, moving from a .NET application to a .NET Core on Linux means you can, don't have to pay for Windows Server licensing. You can also, as a partner, man, uh, optimize uh, managed services. We see partners doing infrastructure managed services, uh, you know, cost management services. If you're a resale partner, is important. That's another offering. But we see things like DevOps and security and marketplace and manage AD and so many ways for you to monetize uh, managed services. But this is the stuff to take back to your organization and say, what do we want to build? Like, let's build a way to make money. Now, the way you make money on us is not from reselling our services. Like, you're not. Well, that's a small piece of the profit pool. The profit pool is about monetizing professional service offerings and managed service offerings. And then there's resells, another bucket that's inside of that. And so lots of ways that we want to help you. But I can tell you the, our top partners have, have cookie cutter baked this. They can go into an account. They do a quick assessment, they migrate them, they optimize them, they modernize them, they're off and running. And, and here's some numbers for you. I have one partner said their lifetime value, their year one value of a customer on AWS is $1 million and they've sized it as a million dollars in professional services on the low end. And their goal over three years is turn that into a $5 million billing account for them. Like you can do the math and work backwards and say how many service opportunities and how many customers, what does that translate to billable revenue for your company? How many engineers? What does that look like? And I would encourage you to do the math and, and decide, you know, where do you want to play on the AWS platform? And, and by the way, if you're a multi-cloud partner today on Azure, a lot of times just duplicating what you do on Azure and building an AWS equivalent is a fast way to get started. One of the recipes for failure is to say, I'm, only, I'm gonna do all this stuff on Azure, but I'm gonna do something totally different on AWS. And when they try to go down that road, the, the skill set to get up to speed on that totally different thing is really hard, and we just don't see partners super successful at that. We also see partners that, um, you know, they've become really good in their local market of going after all these known Microsoft customers with a specific set of services that I can move you to the cloud. They got a quote from Azure, it's gonna be like three months through a partner. Eh, this guy in AWS, I can do it in a month. And this guy is just, this partner is winning, winning, winning every day against Azure because they're, they're in a market that's a very Azure dominant market and they're one of the only AWS shops but they know how to move Microsoft workloads to AWS and they're killing it. They're just killing it. So huge opportunity, a lot of evidence that this strategy works. On the assessment side, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, the customer's problem is, I don't know what I've got, and I don't know what it costs, and I don't know how to scope the opportunity. So doing this licensing assessment is really important because we help you determine the actual resource consumption and utilization, optimize your licensing, we can get data in a week, and it helps make the business case. And, What's really important about this is that, you know, when you just, most customers, they go, well, here's what I have on-prem. What does it cost to run on-prem in the cloud? And you do that, we're going to look more expensive. You have to do this thing called right-sizing. And right-sizing is, is, is saying, okay, I've got 100 servers on-prem, but I only need 20 in the AWS cloud if it's architected properly. He, that's right-sizing, and by the way, I only need 20 licenses instead of 100 licenses. So that's the output you get from these assessment tools. We have three of them. TSO Logic is one that we own. We have tooling through Cloudermize, and we have tooling through CloudJump. And these tooling, I would encourage you to become, pick a tool, get to know a tool, depending on your market segment, but we can help you build an assessment practice to go out and do these you know, some partners monetize them as, you know, 
a TCO for the CFO, and they're out there trying to demonstrate the financial business case. And the results are really compelling. We have uh, a US-based uh, cruise, uh, cruise line. We use TSO. We scanned 4,800 of their on-premise servers. We found almost 10 million in compute cost savings. Um, it was 69% reduction. And they bought three-year reserved instances. A reserved instance is a highly discounted. When you commit to three years uh, on a price of an instance, you get a big discount. It's real money here and real savings. Um, we had a public, uh, public transit train. We used a cloud advice, $2 million in cost savings on a 530-server footprint, 56% reduction in compute costs compared to on-prem. And so the numbers are really compelling. I said earlier, on average, it's 36% savings. We're seeing some customers in these cases you know, up to 70% range uh, of what you can find. Now, furthermore, is your technical teams, your delivery engineers, your pre-sales solution architects, they've got to be well-versed in the, our migration tooling. They're probably, you know, if they've come from the Microsoft world, they might be very familiar with Microsoft's tooling. Um, we have native services like our application discovery server, server migration that Brian touched on, the database migration. But there's also third-party tooling that really complements and rounds out optimizing, running, and migrating applications on AWS. And so really important to understand our tooling environment and how to do migration work. And we'll we have programs to help train you how to use and, or the toolings as well as to um, how to uh, get up to speed on these. And we've got a program for eligible partners called the Windows Rapid Migration Program. And the way we think about this is we look at what is the estimated spend of a customer, right? So if a customer is going to spend $500,000 in year one, our, our standard program under RMP is 20% in cash and credits. Um, and so in this case of 500K, that's $100,000, OK? $100,000 will typically fund about seven weeks of work at a 250 bill rate. So you could largely use the investment from AWS to do seven weeks of no-cost work to a client. That's pretty compelling stuff. And so our funding programs can help offset a portion of the, your statement of work to the customer. We give cash and credits because the cash is to lower the cost of your statement of work to the customer. The credits are to offset that initial usage by the customer because they say, I got no budget. So now you've got a way to say, we can get started because we're going we're gonna to pay, you know, AWS is funding our initial work, and you're going to get some usage credits to offset this cost. Let's pick a workload. Let's get started. So it's a great program, but it's for eligible partners. You've got to have at least the Windows Service Delivery Badge and be at our select tier to participate. But we've got a base program that is at a 15% rate that's available to, to all APN partners. OK, so that's kind of migration. And now I want to just kind of quickly pivot. I've got about six minutes left to modernization. And I, and I talked earlier about like the story for you to tell clients is about AWS is not only a great place to run and manage Microsoft workloads, but over the long term, it's a place and a platform that you can move entirely off Microsoft technology if you so desire. We're happy to have you run it, but if you want to get off it, we have the off-ramp for you. And those pathways are around, Brian talked a little bit earlier, .NET Framework applications to .NET Core on Linux, .NET applications to Linux containers, or to rebuilding an application entirely as a serverless application. So on the application side, we have sort of three common pathways or a combination thereof that customers are used. On the database side, we've covered a little bit, you know, Amazon Aurora or even, even moving SQL Server to Linux. We have a really, really big bank that didn't need all the features in Windows Server and they went to SQL on Linux and they saved a huge amount of Windows Server licensing costs just making that change. Um, so those are options are out there. And so we've got a program to help uh, do that um, called the Windows Modernization Program. And we will help fund a portion of your statement of work to do these modernization work. 
So it has to be, well, we also have funding to do an assessment. And the assessment is for you to go look at the code, look at their database, come back with a recommendation on a pathway. So we'll co-invest with you on an assessment, then we'll co-invest on the project work to actually take the customer down one of these modernization pathways. Again, you have to be an eligible partner for this program and uh, you can uh, see me later or contact your local AWS rep for, for more information. Okay, I'm gonna uh, do the time because I'm gonna actually open it up for Q&A at the very end here. Before I do that, I wanna have Scott come up from one of our premier partners, uh, Eagle Dream Technologies. I've been working with Scott for a couple of years. I wanna have him talk a little bit about his experience on AWS. Great, thanks Keith. Um, thank you everyone. Uh, for coming. It's an honor to be able to be here and talk to everybody here at reInvent. This is my fifth year coming to reInvent. Um, I just want to share briefly sort of the Eagle Dream story um, and maybe it draws some parallels to where your um, businesses are at. So maybe just a real quick show of hands. How many partners in this room are currently at like a standard tier? Okay. Advanced, or yeah, select. And then how about advanced and premier? Okay, good. So we got a pretty good cross-section of those that are trying to come up. So the quick history of Eagle Dream was we came into AWS from a software development side of the business. We got started in AWS five years ago doing a healthcare data analytics build-out natively in AWS. And let me tell you, five years ago doing HIPAA workloads in AWS was a completely different challenge than it is today. We became um, a select-tier partner um, in May of 2015. Two years later, we became advanced tier, and two weeks ago, we were selected to become premier tier partner. So it is possible to move through this. About a four and a half year cycle is not uncommon. But let's talk about how did we get there. So we invested in AWS. And anybody that now knows what it takes to become a premier tier partner, you know that it's a pretty steep investment. The number of certifications that your organization has to have. We also have our Microsoft competency. We have our DevOps competency. We have our end user computing competency and we're a well-architected partner. But that's just a piece of the story. You have to understand where your strengths are and then work with AWS and the groups at AWS. And we've been lucky enough to work directly with Keith for the duration of time that he's been at, been at AWS and working with his team and, and working on hard customer problems. From an, um, Microsoft workloads on AWS, we've done everything from sort of the lift shift and re-architecture for a customer that they're responsible for all the cargo tracking in and out of JFK airport. And talk about a mission critical system, if it goes down, jetliners don't leave the ground. We were able to move them into AWS with nearly zero downtime. They went to multi-AZ RDS for availability, multiple IIS servers behind load balancers for higher availability, and now they have a stable platform. Um, more recently, we've been doing a lot of work under the modernization umbrella. Um, I currently have two customers that we're working with on the discovery phase for application modernization. One of those is going to move completely from an on-prem IIS.NET based environment with SQL Server to all open, running on top of Lambda. We're, we're skipping right over containers and going into that model. Um, I have another success story with um, a very, very large 1,200 location uh, retailer in the auto repair industry. Um, we used .NET Core on top of Lambda and built out APIs for their public website. They run 30, on average, 30 million API calls through this technology stack on a monthly basis, and it costs them $250 a month in AWS spend. So these are the types of things that you can enable with your customers if you, if you adopt AWS and you get deep into what the technology is. And then again, working with the AWS partner ecosystem, working with your partner development manager, your partner solution architects, and then working with Keith's group, he, get, he has given you the outline with those five pillars of how to help your customers. And we operate across all of those in helping our customers get into AWS and then continue to modernize. Sometimes we're lucky enough to jump right to that modernization piece and, and you know, save that customer so much money and modernize them to set them up for success in the future. So I'm short on time, but I'm happy to stick around and talk to any other partners that want to understand a little bit more about our journey. And Keith, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, Scott. And apparently I talked too much because I've only got 17 seconds left. So we're going to stick around and take some uh, questions for you. And I was just going to, uh, you know, 
end with this. Like, these are the four steps. You know, I have partners come to me and they say, I want to do number four, but they haven't done the first three. This is your roadmap. Do these four things. You're going to have a great journey in AWS, and I really appreciate you attending this session. Thank you very much. Have a, great, have a good reInvent. <laughs>